Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, home of Cornerstone University that just keeps churning out notably terrible alumni. Yeah, there was another one. You can find us online at doubtcast.org or freethoughtblogs.com slash reasonable doubts. And you can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, 1680 AM, WPRR, Ada Grand Rapids, 95.3 FM, W237CZ, Hudsonville, and 88.3 FM, WPJC in Pontiac, Illinois. And as always, streaming at publicrealityradio.org, located very near the airport. My name is Dave Fletcher, and with me in the studio, all my fellow Doubtcasters, Mr. Jeremy Bean. I missed you, listeners. Justin Schieber. Hello. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. We're back in our classic lineup. It's like when Van Halen had uh, David Lee Roth again. Are you supposed to be David Lee Roth in this analogy? Yeah. Van who? Van Galen. Van Van Galen. (laughs) Make that T-shirt. Someone out there, make a Van Galen T-shirt. Luke will buy one. Coming up in today's show... Running with the devil. We've got God Things Like You, polyatheism, and more. But first, uh, five old Catholic men just took a huge steaming whiz on both women's rights and the separation of church and state in one move. So why don't we talk about that for a little bit, shall we? How about it? Uh, Of course, this is the Hobby Lobby decision. You guys real happy about this one? It was enough to bring us out of our long hiatus. <laughs> and I know where I'm not going to get my diorama supplies from now on. This is a big deal for Luke. Or his uh, his tools for knitting sweaters for cats. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's where I got all my googly eyes. It's, yeah. I'm going to Michael's. Go to on. Michael's, man. So if, if there's a little bit of angst in this discussion, it's because it's personal at this point. I haven't gone to Hobby Lobby in a few years ever since they started like around Christmas doing their uber religious posts on their website and it became known to me at least that it was a uh, a, a company run by a very conservative uh, Christian group and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Michael's. I'll get my – and when you have five children – there is a lot of need for yarn and and other crap like that. So yeah, I've I've never frequented their store that much either. I mean, occasionally my sexual needs require black light responsive body paint, and that'll get me uh, in the door. But all right, aside um, from that, aside from the crucifixes and candles for my like sacrifices, and right? Stuff, well, it's not, sure, sure. It's not really necessary to. But I think it's door. totally appropriate to still buy those at Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, just as a big old fu, as long as you post photos of what. You're using it for on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. I, I think it's acceptable. But we're not encouraging any of this behavior. No, 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 no ritual sacrifice or shopping at Hobby Lobby. Both of those things are bad. Equally. Well, to truly understand the Hobby Lobby case and decision, there's a little bit of history that's kind of helpful. The justices were able to make the kind of ruling that they did because of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And that's essential to understanding the context of this decision because there's a lot I'm sure you guys have all seen going around the internet. 
doomsday pronouncements, slippery slope arguments where the ruling is really not as bad as they're making it out to be. And then on the other end too, we have people really underestimating the gravity of this. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of history serves to clear up a lot of confusion. A while ago in a, a decision, Employment Division versus Smith, Justice Scalia, who wrote the court's opinion on the matter, uh, said that the government only had to meet a rational bias test when they were looking at a neutral law imposed uh, that imposed a burden on religious belief. I, I believe the situation involved some uh, gentlemen who wanted to use peyote. Right. Uh, they were Native That's American right. yes. and that was uh, part of their vision quest. They part were of their a Christian Native American – uh, oh really? Like I didn't know that kind of denomination. Hmm. Yeah, but they so had kind of fusion religion. They had a legitimate religious reason for using hallucinogenic drugs, and many people, even conservatives, were stunned when the Supreme Court decided all the government had to prove was that this general law was not specifically targeting Native American beliefs in, in any sort of way. Mm -hmm. uh, since the law was not biased to a specific religion, uh, therefore the law could be upheld. This prompted bipartisan support of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was uh, intended to impose more strict tests as to whether or not a general law could infringe upon religious liberty. And so the stricter tests, well, first of all, does the state have a compelling interest in supporting the law? And does the law place a significant burden on religious practice? And then third, it was a least restrictive means test. So if there's an easier way to allow the state to uh, fulfill their compelling interest, taxing while not at, at all imposing on the religious liberty of people, if there's an easier way, then the law should not be upheld. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act now is a law. It's not part of our constitution. But it needs to be considered in any of these cases. When Hobby Lobby, their essential challenge was that the Affordable Care Act's contraceptive mandate violated their religious rights. Because Obama is black and evil. Um, their lawyers informed them the black and evil route <laughs> probably wouldn't hold up in out. court. Kenyon usurper didn't actually make it into yeah. their, their Supreme Court argument. Black that part out of the yeah. – or rather white that part <laughs> out of the document. Uh, so, well, we wanted to go with Negro witch doctory, <laughs> but we decided that wouldn't work for legal and PR reasons. <laughs> so they instead went with the idea that these forms of birth control covered by the AFA were actually abortion drugs. Right, because they're defining abortion however they want to define abortion because they as opposed genuinely to a medical hold definition. The belief. We'll get to the startling, startling facts of how the Supreme Court just let them define yeah. what an abortion drug is. I think even using moment. the term facts is a little bit um, yeah. out of sync with this case because it ain't about the facts. No, no, facts. It's really not. Facts took a back seat mm -hmm. in this case all the way around. Nevertheless, that was their argument. Mm -hmm. These drugs support abortions. Their religious beliefs are opposed to abortion and therefore they cannot in good conscience pay for to no, have this access isn't to abortion a, drugs. This wasn't a blanket statement of all, that they shouldn't have to you know, pay for any contraception. They're, no. they're objecting to four, four out of the They targeted four yes. out of uh, 20 that are supported by the AFA. So, so the big question for the court was 
does the birth control mandate actually threaten their religious liberty? And of course, can a corporation even be dis- even be considered a person? Because the RF, <laughs> the RFRA is meant for to protect individual liberties. It wasn't originally conceived right. to yeah. protect corporate. But interests. of course, since uh, since Citizens United decision, yeah, that's we have kind corporate of person gray area. And what to what extent, if corporations are considered persons when it comes to free speech rights, mm-hmm. are they covered under other amendments in the Bill of Rights? And uh, so that was the big test for the court to the shock of some, not many who have been paying attention to this most recent court. Of course. They decided that corporations can be considered persons with religious rights, at least closely held corporations. Which are corporations that uh, have – Are owned by a small group. That 50 percent of the the stock I believe is held by – Fewer than five persons, or something like that. Okay, so we've got. So it's a very so like Hobby Lobby's the Green family. It's is owned by a particular right, family. Right. So if if or it's a majority of if it it's you know closely held in that way, yes. then we can see them as a kind of organization with a, <laughs> a kind of unified religious yeah, attitude as or one something. One mind, one right. person. Um, yeah, some, one religious idea. Something like Facebook that is traded far and wide sure. by the financially foolish. Um, there's no way you could have a uniform religious ethics that they're embracing. There's too Unless many parties. Mark Zuckerberg owned more than fifty percent, yes. along with you know three family members, and they are all of the same religious group, right. which is part of the the issue. And that's the rationale behind yeah. allowing uh, closely held but not publicly traded. Okay, and, and when it came to the decision, it was not a unanimous decision. It was five to four. Now there are there are broken along gender lines, pretty clearly. I was going to say there's there's currently three women in the Supreme right. Court, and right? With with Breyer, how did they vote on the usual huh? side? How did they do? Uh, women? No, not for this. <laughs> really? No, I mean, as you would expect. Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> Um, in fact, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg offered uh, a dissenting opinion, which mm. was scathing and yeah. pretty brilliant. And, I, and later on, I mean, we'll get to this, but uh, Sotomayor did as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, not in not in word, but uh, in principle, calling out the rest of the justices as activist judges. The very yes, exactly. complaint we often hear from the conservative exactly. side. Exactly. Um, so once again, Anthony Kennedy decides the fate of our country, whether he goes with the right or the left wing of the yeah, court. Yeah, never as a single man in America had so much power as yeah. Kennedy. But yes, they decided under the RFRA, mm-hmm. a corporation can be considered a person. They decided that the birth control mandate did place a substantial burden on Hobby Lobby's religious beliefs. We should pause here to talk about why. Right, because it's not at all clear that it – it does. If what is a substantial? What does that right. even mean? Well, first? when when stated in the uh, the decision, they they're kind of going back on what was argued. They talk about how the decision for uh, an employee to pursue uh, these particular kinds of, of birth control uh, that that's that's several steps removed mm-hmm. from the employer. Yes, and their coverage or it's, they're buying right. into this. It's coverage, really between right? the the uh, yeah. the person getting the birth control and their doctor. Yeah, because they would never know anyway. It. So, for all they know, none of their employees I, actually pursued this, yes, and my, they're uh, still feeling. My like boss does not get a list of the prescriptions right. that I pick up 
for yeah, obvious I, reasons. My health insurance, right? Yeah. yeah, the that was that was the other side's argument. I mean, this is so many steps removed. It's yeah. essentially no different than getting a paycheck mm-hmm. and yes. deciding to pay for it. And the law would never say that an employer could decide how you spend your paycheck. Right. This is why we need to bring back Ford's company store, where you work for the company, you buy all of your yeah. stuff from you get the company. Ford tokens. Yep. So yeah. then Green's yeah. family's position essentially was, even though that's removed, we're still complicit in that and some level. Of and therefore, we're still we're still aiding in abortions is essentially well, what which, it comes down to, which, right? And what's amazing is that the court took that logic to bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and even more disturbing was the fact that the Department of Health and Human Services, mm-hmm. with the exception of the copper uh, IUDs, mm-hmm. one of the four birth control measures under consideration, with the exception of that one, the uh, Department of Health and Human Services was very clear. These are not abortion drugs. Mm-hmm. It right. does not work the same way. Contraceptives, they stop Yes, they stop ovulation. Yes, and, yeah. I, and even Plan B, which you can say it's the abortion potentially, potentially a egg could be fertilized but prevented – from, uh, implanting. from implanting. Yeah. The science on that has made it pretty clear that that's, that's a very – if that happens, it's rare. Mm-hmm. Not how the drug actually works. Right. The IUD is the, the, the sort of a wire-ish that, that thickens the mucus and, and then prevents the sperm from going up and fertilizing the egg. I define the wire – by the way, the IUD is love springs internal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? Oh, dear goodness. But anyway, even that was see their their oh, Luke I internal. You. Their definition though is that I hope that, people appreciate that. Yeah. We've talked about this in the for, on the show before, but the their definition then is since life begins at conception, that anything that if there was a conception that would prevent then further implantation is tantamount to abortion, which again yes. we've mentioned the show before. The facts are that that most of conceptions are spontaneously aborted. Then absolutely. So if you were trying to make your religious views fit there with science, that that anything if if your definition is that, that any conception that then is died is a human life being lost, that's the majority of human life being lost right yes. there. So more so, more abortions will happen under this definition just naturally. Yes. Then yeah. they would taking these birth control measures. A- absolutely. <laughs> In the majority ruling, here's a quote from it. The owners of the businesses have religious objections to abortion and according to their religious beliefs, mm-hmm. the four contraceptive methods at issue are abortifacients. And that, so it's yeah. not about what's actually the case, no, what the science says. It is says. their belief. They're allowed to legislate reality apparently yeah. um, according to these people's sincerely held religious beliefs. And, and you can kind of understand the legal rationale because the government doesn't want to get involved in validating or refuting the truth of mm-hmm. people's religious beliefs. Let's say I own a factory that pollutes and then my religious belief is that God doesn't allow global warming to occur. Would right. that get me out of yes. Clean Air Act provisions or like, you know, just think about these that what you could do with well, that if you could just say what, my belief doesn't If you were closely held. That. Yeah, That's he, the insanity of this decision. Here's what Ginsburg had to say about it. Uh, uh, this is great. She says the majority's decision is a finding, quote, uh, decision of startling breadth saying that the ruling means, quote, commercial enterprises can opt out of any law saving only tax laws they judge incompatible with their sincerely held religious beliefs. The exemption sought by Hobby Lobby would override significant interests of the corporation's employees and covered dependents. Mm-hmm. She also says that the majority's interpretation of the RFRA in this case is not plausible. 
and that it falters at each step of its analysis. What it does legally is it removes that substantial burden test. Yes. It, it basically takes on faith that if somebody says it's a substantial burden right. to their religion, mm-hmm. it is, yeah. by definition, a substantial burden. Yeah, it's no longer an argument anymore because it has to do yes. with whether or not they can show that they genuinely believe it's a burden. It doesn't need to be... So I'm wondering why tax laws are exempt from this because couldn't and certainly many people do say that they don't believe in taxes, that taxes that's, – that's government theft. Um, it's a political view but take it a step further and say you know, your Montana militiamen out there say this is our – our god does not believe – that we should pay taxes. Why is that exempt when other things? Well, ain't nobody are... gonna fuck with getting your money. Yeah, right. <laughs> Government that, is no different than any other. That's human how Alito being gets his planet. paycheck, right? When it I comes mean, down to it, that, wasn't Alito's response that all those things will now be handled on a case by case basis? That any, yeah. any yeah. objection that comes up that's religious will be dealt with yeah. individually. But but he, what he doesn't realize is that the logic that's being used yeah. here. Even if you want to handle them case by case, it's going to apply to each of those cases as long as they use the argument that works. It's our sincerely held belief. To clarify though, what Justin means as far as the substantial burden aspect of of the the test, that can be met no matter what. Mm -hmm. We still have other tests and here's where it's going to get really interesting with the details. So the government has an interest in supporting birth control. And religious groups have a substantial burden on their liberty by paying for it. It all came down to this least restrictive means test. Because religious nonprofits, due to all this political fighting, Obama exempted religious nonprofits, sign a form saying, hey, look, we object to this. The companies do, yeah. Yeah. And then what? Nonprofits. The nonprofits did. And then what kicked in after that was a kind of workaround provision, everybody's calling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, at that point, either the health care provider needs to spring for – I'm sorry, the insurance provider yes. needs to spring for that money or the government itself will pay for it. Therefore, right. the money is not coming from right. the nonprofit itself right. if one of their employees wants to get – Which, if I understand it right, was nothing more than one of those little political annoyances. Like, screw you guys! If you're going to fight this, we'll just we'll just create a workaround. Totally. And it was I I think it was a smart compromise because it was just a way to go. Okay, okay, look, you're not paying for it at all. That workaround provision that allowed Alito to claim, "Hey, look, there is a less restrictive way to let this happen, which is just make the insurance providers or the government pay for it." There so he go. actually no gives burden. that in the decision. Mm-hmm. Yep. So while the rest of us were freaking out about this decision and what it might mean, our calm, level-headed buddy, friend of the show, Ed Brayton, gave us all a bit of encouragement and mm-hmm. said, look, guys, not a big deal. All Obama has to do is extend the, the workaround provision that's been given to religious nonprofits yes. – to these religious corporations also. Mm-hmm. And thing. there we go. The decision is moot. Yep. It practically doesn't affect anybody. Right. There that, might still be some things lurking in precedent right. that might hurt. Of course. But but let's keep this in perspective. This is not a constitutional thing. This right. is it's simply statutory. Simply statutory. So if it's really a problem, we just need to repeal the law. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially moot. Well, we're going to talk to Ed Brayton now. Let's get Ed on the phone, shall we? And see if he'll reassure us further.
So joining us over the phone is Ed Brayton, author of Dispatches from the Culture Wars on freethoughtblogs.com. We have been talking over the past several minutes about the history leading up to this Hobby Lobby decision and the ruling itself. I was really thankful for you early last week uh, that you you kind of sent out a much-needed call for calm. You said, well, Obama can basically render this decision moot by extending the provision, uh, the workaround provision that's been given to religious nonprofits, extending that to religious businesses as well. And so maybe this won't be a serious ruling. Do you still feel that way, Ed? Well, here's the problem. I was wrong. Say it um, so. You, you evidently didn't see the update. And believe uh, me, that. I'm not trying to get uh, – this is not a gotcha moment. <laughs> oh, no, I understand. I am, what you say when it comes to constitutional law is practically gospel to me. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I was well, no. stunned. Yeah, here, here's what – I found out that I was wrong. I thought that the – what they call the secondary accommodation, which is the, the rule that allows religious-based nonprofits to sort of make a – it's a workaround that allows – employees of those nonprofits to get the contraception coverage without the um, without the religious nonprofit having to include it in their group policy. I thought that that secondary accommodation didn't involve government funding. I thought it simply said that the insurance companies had to provide a second rider separate from the group insurance policy to cover that free of charge. Hmm. Turns out there is a government reimbursement for that, and that completely changes my initial reaction. Um, because if it is, if there's money involved, that means Congress has to appropriate the money for that. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I initially thought was an easy way for Obama unilaterally to fix the problem is not. It actually does require congressional action in order to extend the secondary accommodation from religious nonprofits to religious for-profits. My initial assessment was incorrect. This was not just some bonehead move either. And a number of analysts were out there saying, you know, after you were saying a lot of the, the same things. And uh, yeah. that was a bit I, of I, in a fact, I, When I thought of it, I checked with a friend of mine who teaches constitutional law, and he said, yeah, I think you're right. Um, but then uh, I think it was uh, Forbes, no, Bloomberg uh, had an article where they pointed out that, in fact, there is a government reimbursement in this uh, and that they're even having trouble sort of figuring out where the funding for that's going to come from at this point. So because Congress hasn't actually directly appropriated that money yet. So, um, yeah, a lot of people sort of got that wrong. And I was one of them. Well, and then we have the weird phenomena of this decision over Wheaton College. Wheaton College, a small uh, religious college. Named after Will Wheaton from Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, right? No. <laughs> in Jeremy's backyard where he hails from. Yes, actually. Uh, oh. my, I was born in Wheaton. My dad was a firefighter there for uh, decades. And I was going to go to Wheaton College myself. Uh, big home <laughs> of Billy Graham and all of that. Until Cornerstone came calling? Yeah, I had a lot. I made a, a lot here. of bad choices, Dave. Yeah, I made well, a lot of bad okay. choices. All right. But, well, Cornerstone offered him a football scholarship. <laughs> uh, and a job working in Christian radio. Uh, uh, he declined that one. <laughs> but uh, regardless, uh, Wheaton College's situation is, you know, they could easily sign this form saying they, they oppose on religious grounds paying for contraceptives. 
you know, the government or the health insurance company will provide it. But Wheaton is characterizing it as a permission slip for an abortion. Mm -hmm. That case hasn't reached the Supreme Court, but it seems that the court ruled on it anyways. Well, not really. What the court did was told the the appeals court to rule on it uh, and extended the stay and said, you know, okay, in light of the decision that we just handed down, um, now the appeals court has to go back and reconsider that particular issue. And, and as you said, there's kind of a weird thing going on here. That secondary accommodation for religious nonprofits, um, there's about, I don't know, 70 or 80 different lawsuits going on, all on the same exact issue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've been filed everywhere against that secondary accommodation, saying that even the accommodation isn't enough of an accommodation for us. That sounds about uh, right. What's that? <laughs> that sounds about right. That's what we'd expect. Yeah. So, but here's the weird thing. In the Hobby Lobby ruling, the, um, the Supreme Court made a pretty clear signal for those cases that they were going to uphold that accommodation, because one of the things the ruling said, as you indicated, was... Um, that they said, look, this isn't the least restrictive means. That's the legal standard they were looking at. Right? Uh, is this policy, is the, the contraception mandate the least restrictive means of achieving a compelling state interest? And they said, no, it's not. There are other ways you could do this without um, creating any sort of, a, of uh, religious freedom problem. And one of the ways is they said you could extend that accommodation that you're giving to religious nonprofits to religious for-profits. Well, if they're saying, listen, here's a constitutional way that you could do this, it would be very odd for them then to come out when, when one of those religious nonprofit cases reaches them next year and say, oh, we were kidding. That's not a constitutional way to do this. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, that was seen immediately as a very clear signal that the court was going to uphold the accommodation when it comes to religious nonprofits. I still think that's what they're likely to do. I think there's been a bit of an overreaction to what happened with the Wheaton case, which really just involved uh, whether to, to continue a stay or not. It wasn't, they didn't decide anything on the merits of that case. They didn't hear that case. That case hasn't even reached the Supreme Court yet. I still think they're likely to say uh, that that secondary accommodation is, is perfectly fine. That, I mean, they don't have, the religious nonprofits have a very weak case here. Um, because they are already being given an exemption from a generally applicable law. Right. Um, and that's what RIFR requires. That's what the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was the basis of the Hobby Lobby Act, that's what it says they can have. So uh, I think their, their case is pretty weak um, to say, okay, we want an exemption from this law, um, and the one you gave us didn't, wasn't good enough. That's not a very strong argument. I don't think, I think in particular, I don't think Justice Kennedy is going to do that. So I think it, once those religious nonprofit cases reach the court, I think you're likely to see a 5-4 decision the other way, with Kennedy joining the four liberals on the court saying, no, that's good enough. Just sign the dang piece of paper, you know. I mean, would you say then so, uh, Justice Sotomayor Mayor was, uh, was grandstanding when she freaked out about this? I mean, she wrote in the yeah. in response well, to the Wheaton issue, she said, uh, those who are bound by our decisions usually believe they can take us at our word. Not so today. Uh, this undermines the confidence in this institution. I have not read what Justice Sotomayor wrote. Uh, but, I, but, but in general, let me say this. Don't ever be surprised by grandstanding from the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
liberal or conservative. I mean, this is this is pretty normal stuff. Um, I think that Justice Ginsburg, uh, her dissent uh, in the Hobby Lobby case was a bit of grandstanding. It was a bit of you know this is going to bring down the you know plagues of locusts upon us. Um, which, while I think the decision was a bad one, I don't think it, it was you know as broad a decision as. Uh, as Justice Ginsburg pretended in her dissent. But, Ed, Ed, Uh, clearly other groups are responding to this decision as if it is uh, big bad news. Gay rights groups are reacting to this and and pulling their lawsuits saying basically the the court ruled that these religiously owned companies can discriminate against gay people because it's their deeply held religious belief. They specifically said No, that's not true. Okay, several gay rights groups pulled their support for the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, which is a piece of legislation, not a lawsuit. Oh, oh, okay, um, yes, yeah, sorry, I misspoke. Yeah, but, but the thing is, the one thing that, the, that, the, that the, the ruling did make clear was that this has nothing to do with discrimination laws. It explicitly said the government has a clear and compelling interest in preventing discrimination. So the court made very clear, even Justice Alito made very clear, mm that this does not mean that you get to get out of discrimination laws just because you have a deeply held religious belief that says you should be allowed to discriminate. Except they said against that for women. several things, but when it came to the discrimination laws, they actually spelled out the reason why, because there is a clear and compelling interest in it. Sure. Um, and so I think, I, I think the idea that, this, that the Hobby Lobby ruling is going to be applied to discrimination law is just nonsense. It is not. Uh, I would be completely shocked if that were the case, and particularly because of Justice Kennedy. Justice Kennedy wrote a concurrence in this case. I think what's really obvious what happened here was this. You had the four sort of hardcore conservatives, and you had the four hardcore liberals, you know, on, on their normal sides and taking pretty strong positions. And then you had Kennedy who said, who I think essentially told Alito and the other conservatives, I'll go along with you on this only if this is a very limited ruling. They could have made a much broader ruling than they did, and they chose not to. They limited it to closely held companies, and I think that's and, – and several other ways that they, the language of the, the case limits its application. I think that was because Justice Kennedy said, I'm not going to go along with you if you, if you don't do that. And then he wrote a separate concurrence mm-hmm. to make absolutely clear that he would not go any further than that. And so I think if we see similar cases, particularly a discrimination case and an anti-gay discrimination case, right. there is no way in hell Kennedy's on the side of the conservatives there. Okay. He is the most pro-gay equality justice we True. have ever had of the Supreme Court. Yeah. He wrote the only three pro-gay rights decisions the court has ever handed down. Hmm. So it, the idea that this is going to gut uh, discrimination laws, and particularly discrimination laws against gay people, which exist in about 25 states, mm-hmm. there's no way Kennedy goes along with that. So I think that's an overreaction. Okay, they, so so these LGBT groups that are are kind of backing down and reassessing after this decision, you think that, that that's a mistake? I'm not sure it has anything to do with this decision. I, I haven't... Well, uh, well they, they tied you. to it. it. They tied it to the decision, saying in a statement that came out on the day of the ruling, um, this is... Uh, 
forget what group it is, but they said, quote, given the types of workplace discrimination we see increasingly against LGBT people, together with the calls for greater permission to discriminate on religious grounds, obviously, um, citing the court immediately upon the Supreme Court's decision last week in Burwell versus Hobby Lobby, it became clear that the inclusion of this provision uh, is no longer tenable. So, which provision specifically are they talking about? Uh, it is well, I'm not sure exactly which I, I thought you might know, but it's it's. Yeah, I, let me let me say up front, I have not read any of this. Okay. I've seen some headlines, I've seen references to it, like on Facebook today. I haven't had time to actually read those. Mm-hmm. But there has been a lot of controversy in, in, among the gay rights groups over whether to support ENDA in the first place. Sure, yeah. And the big conflict for years has been the support for um, transgender people. Right. Um, that, that, that whether the, the language included protection against discrimination for gender identity and gender expression in addition to sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And the human rights campaign, which is sort of the most moderate and conservative of the gay rights groups has long taken the position that we shouldn't include transgender people in the anti-discrimination provisions in the Employment Non-Discrimination Act because that will hurt our ability to get it passed. That's asking for too much. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know whether whether that's really what this is about or not. I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely baffled by anyone who seriously thinks that this ruling means that Either A, ENDA can't pass. ENDA can't pass because the Republicans control the House. Right. That's the only yeah, reason yeah. ENDA can't pass right now. Um, and that B, if it did pass, that it would be struck down for the, by the courts. Mm-hmm. It's, that, that's an absolutely moronic position, to be completely blunt. What, what I've read on the subject is that the, the concerns with ENDA is more that certain language in it needs to be retailored by the Obama administration – to avoid potential legal challenges. But I, yeah, I haven't heard that the, in principle, gays could be discriminated just from precedent from this ruling alone. Yeah, the only possible, I mean, if, if, if their thinking is that even if ENDA did pass, somebody would challenge it on religious grounds and it would be struck down. Mm-hmm. The only possible way that that is a reasonable prediction is if you think that some religious group says, Okay, our religion gives us the right to discriminate, and uh, and this law violates that on the basis of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and that goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And Justice Kennedy, right? Does anybody seriously think Justice Kennedy would say Congress doesn't have the authority to forbid discrimination against gay people? I mean, I will eat a gallon of topsoil if that happens. <laughs> this is an absolutely ludicrous yeah. prediction. It isn't going to happen. So we are not going to see, you're saying, corporations now, closely held corporations, of course, that are saying, no, it's our deeply held religious belief that black people uh, should be slaves or anything like that. We're not going to see cases like this happening. They could argue it's a substantial burden right. on their religious practice, but they couldn't argue against the state having a compelling interest. But we, what we are going to see is companies, Hobby Lobby uh, specifically, that are denying women access to certain methods of birth control. Yes, that you will see. Yes. The is, it, is it going to go beyond decision, that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you'll see companies try all sorts of claims in this regard. Sure. But I think particularly when it comes to any, like right now we've got state laws that forbid 
um, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation in, I don't know, 20 to 25 states. I don't know exactly how many. And probably 150 or 200 cities. Right. Um, federal government provides no protection whatsoever. That is not part of the Civil Rights Act. Um, that is something but, we need to do something about. Well, that's what the employment non-discrimination right. does. Yes, that's absolutely. what ENDA is all about. So, but but the I, I just, yeah, you can claim anything you want. Is mm-hmm. the court going to say that? No way. Not this court. Not with Justice Kennedy on it. There is no way in hell. Now, if if Justice Ginsburg dies, you know, mm-hmm. she's 84 years old now, yep. uh, and refusing to step down, which I partly respect, and it scares the hell out of me at the <laughs> same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if she were to die, uh, if one of the other liberals were to die or leave the court and gets replaced by another conservative, then I think that becomes a, a, a realistic possibility. Mm-hmm. As the current court is configured... There is not a chance in hell that Justice Kennedy is going to say Congress can't ban discrimination against gay people. Right. Is, that is just inconceivable. And, and that's not just gay people. That's based on race. That's based on yeah, there's no disability. It, it, that's whatever. No. So Scott, you wouldn't even get the, the, the four conservatives. If someone were to say, right. I, my religious beliefs give me the right to discriminate on the basis of race, or gender, I can refuse to hire uh, a woman or refuse to rent an apartment to a single woman because of my religion. If those things were challenged and went up to the Supreme Court, the, the, the worst possible outcome, I think, would be an eight-to-one decision. If you only there were an African-American on the Supreme Court who would stand up for... Uh, well, ironically, he's the only possible no Dave. vote on that. Clarence Thomas is the only one that I think even conceivably would vote against that. (laughs) But I can't see anybody on the court, really. I think it would be 9-0 to uphold the Civil Rights Act. So, Ed, uh, SCOTUS was also trying to – or Alito was also trying to reassure us on the limited scope of this ruling by saying it doesn't affect coverage for any other kind of medical care. Uh, If we're talking about getting a vaccination or blood transfusions or something like that, they they tried to reassure us. Uh, their ruling doesn't apply to this, but I'm I'm skeptical. I yeah, I, I wonder why. Maybe with vaccines, because I could see that as being you you could say very much a compelling state interest in making this happen. But what would stop a Christian scientist from saying, yeah, or a Jehovah's Witness uh, under the previous Jehovah's Witness rules? Um, uh, we're not going to pay for health coverage, which covers period. Yeah, yeah, uh, blood transfusion. I, I think that there's the, the, the language that Alito used was a, a, it was partly disingenuous in that he didn't explain why. Whereas with the discrimination, because there is no explanation, Ed. No, I mean, yes, there is. Yes, there is, is. There? because you think about the standard that the court has to apply. Right. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act requires that it says that religious individuals and organizations can ask the court to give them an exemption from a generally applicable law mm-hmm. if that law. Uh, presents an, a, quote, significant burden right. on their free exercise of religion. It then says, once they ask for that exemption, the court then has to, has to apply um, the strict scrutiny standard, which means they have to determine, is this law the least restrictive means of achieving a compelling state interest? So there's multiple ways along that axis that the court could could rule. They could say... It's not a significant burden on your religious freedom. 
I, I, I don't think they can say that anymore. I don't think they can say that anymore because they are letting they let Hobby Lobby just say right. because they believe these drugs produce abortions, they therefore do. And yeah, there's uh, no proof of a significant burden or even what that means. It is. Right. I think I think that the ruling did sort of uh, make that a very unlikely outcome. I was hoping that would be the outcome of this case. Um, but okay, so 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 option number one is taken away. Um, option number two is, is there a compelling state interest here? And I think the court could very easily make a distinction between birth control in those cases by saying, look, a vaccination affects everybody. Sure. If you're yeah. not vaccinated, you could make everybody else sick. This is a public health. The government clearly has a compelling interest in protecting public health when it comes to infectious diseases. And so in, in, in that case, yes, that distinguishes it from birth control. Vaccinations, I think they could say, look, somebody doesn't get a vaccine or, or a blood transfusion. Somebody doesn't get a blood transfusion, they may die. This is more of a, like an immediate danger to someone's life. Um, and so, you know, maybe they make that distinction, maybe they don't. You're right that they didn't really provide a principled um, distinction between those, but frankly, they couldn't really because they have to take each case as it comes. Mm-hmm. And, and so they weren't deciding a case. So I think what Alito's point was, we aren't deciding this for the full range of possible exemptions someone may ask for. Yeah. We have to consider each case as it comes. I think vaccinations is a pretty easy one. I can't see the court doing that. Blood transfusions is, a, is, is, is probably 50-50. Um, but they do have to take each case as it comes. So... Um, you know, I don't think I don't think we should overreact and say, "Well, once you get a religious exemption, then people can have a religious exemption for anything." Right. It doesn't work that way. Um, at the same time, I think you're right to go. Well, they didn't give us a really principled distinction between the two, so it could be worse than than just this case. We're just going to have to wait and see if somebody actually makes that claim and how the courts rule on it. So uh, we've talked about some ways in which. Um Concerned citizens such as ourselves are um, maybe overreacting to this ruling. Are there are there more overreactions we haven't met, talked about already that you, you think are kind of uh, uh, slippery slope arguments? Um, no, I think those are about it. Well, let me let me say this: I don't want anybody to think that I think this was a good ruling. I think it's a terrible right. ruling. No, um, and and I think that we should be upset about it. And I think that we should be very cognizant of a the people we put on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, the people that we put in the Senate and the White House who decide who goes on the court. Uh, and I think that we should be taking direct action um, to to get Congress to fix this, um, to get the states to fix this. Twenty-eight states already require contraception mandate in, in health insurance. Mm-hmm. This this ruling did not apply to that. It didn't strike those down. So, uh, so yeah, terrible ruling. Just let's not overreact to it. Let's react correctly to it, which is it's bad for lots of reasons, and there are steps we should be taking to try to reverse it if we can. Now, now one glimmer of hope is that uh, because this is a, a statutory thing and not a constitutional thing, conceivably, if there was a different makeup in Congress, we could repeal the RFRA. Do, mm-hmm. do you think that would be a good decision? I would love that. I think the chances of it happening are very very slim yeah certainly Even not with this congress yeah yeah there there is very. a i i know you're not a liberal or a conservative you're more of a liberal but uh um 
Uh, we tend to more towards the left on this show, and there there are, believe it or not, pretty good liberal arguments for the Religious Freedom Restoration mm-hmm. Act, in that it protects minority religious groups uh, against abuses by the majority. What do you think are kind of the principal problems of the law? I think the problem is it pretty obviously violates both the Equal Protection Act and the or the Equal Protection Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment and the Establishment Clause. It gives to religious people a tool with which to get out of generally applicable laws that everybody else has to follow and that mm-hmm. nobody else has access to. Yeah. I got a real problem with that philosophically. Religious so over think, non-religious, especially. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah. And so I think that the um, – I think, I think RIFRA should – I think it's unconstitutional. Um, there was actually a brief filed in the Hobby Lobby case on behalf of the Freedom From Religion Foundation and several other groups that was written by uh, Marcy Hamilton, who's a law professor at the Cardoza Law School. Um, And she has been probably the most outspoken opponent of Religious Freedom Restoration Act laws, which exist not only at the federal level, but in most states as well, uh, for that very basis. Now, there was no way that brief was going to result in it being overturned. Even the Obama administration didn't make that argument. The government did not argue that RIFRA was unconstitutional. Um, and the court's not going to decide on an argument neither side makes. So, But I, ultimately, I would like to see that. I would love to see it repealed. That isn't going to happen. Remember that RIFRA was passed in 1993 when the Democrats controlled both houses of Congress mm. and the White House, yeah. and it passed overwhelmingly. That was also the era of don't ask, don't tell, and you know a lot yep. of things have changed since then. But uh, Yeah, but I, I mean, I just don't. Not everything. I think it's very unlikely. What I think... The, the more likely possibility, and I don't think this is really likely, but it's certainly more likely than a repeal, is that Congress goes in and tweaks it a little bit mm-hmm. to overturn this ruling. In this case, they actually can overturn a Supreme Court ruling. Uh, and they can do it either by extending that accommodation or by putting an exception into uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that says this doesn't apply to insurance, health insurance. It doesn't apply to anybody's health needs or something. What do you think would so, be the easiest route uh, to do that way? Out the of those easiest two. route is probably just extending the accommodation because for conservatives, you can make the argument to them, look, you, by passing this, you are preserving what you think is religious freedom. Right. Right. Okay. So you've got an argument to be made to Republicans uh, in the House that this is a good policy for that reason. And so you might be able to peel off enough of them to pass the House. So now it, I, I want to make sure I, I have the summary of this ruling correct. Uh, fertilized eggs have rights. Corporations have rights. Women, women eh. don't. Yeah. yeah, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a pretty ugly ruling. Here, you know, here's another. You asked me about other ways that I think the, that the ruling has been sort of uh, overblown. I think the focus on the Catholic thing has been a little overblown too. You, do you think it's just coincidence that that the five justices that ruled against this were all Catholics? Yes, I think if they had been Protestant conservatives, the ruling would have been the same. The definition of what Hobby Lobby was calling what abortion drugs um, is very bizarre to me. I mean, they're they're coming up with their own definition of what abortion is that has no basis in science or anything but, like that. And, but you have a liberal Catholic on the court who voted the other way. Yeah, well, yeah, but the five the five Catholics on the court. <laughs> so. well, the five conservative Catholics on the court also have all voted in favor of the death penalty 
which the Catholic Church That's is true. completely opposed to. Yes, but I don't think it's Catholicism. I think it's political ideology. Yeah, I I, I agree. That's the definitely the more important yeah. aspect. What, of what it. does yeah. what does get me is that you know just this past week the court vacated several decisions. I think I think there were two or three that the lower courts made. Mm-hmm. What was it? Uh, Autocom Corp versus Burwell, Eden Foods, which is here in Michigan, versus Burwell, and told the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, who we actually have a judge on there who's a fan of our show, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Really? Yes. Yes. uh, um, I'm not sure that's supposed to be public knowledge. Maybe I should edit that out. Don't name names on the show. No, no, but um, (laughs) they ordered them to to rehear the case with the Hobby Lobby ruling in mind. Mm-hmm. But yet they refused three other cl- cases, Department of Health and Human Services versus Gilardi, uh, Burwell versus Newland, Burwell versus Corte, uh, all of them saying that those were all government appeals that had to deal with Catholic businesses. They object to providing insurance in, that will in any form pay for any type of birth control. And it seemed to me like that was a clear indication of some favoritism going on. Now, let me explain why that's not the case. Okay. You notice that all three of those cases that they didn't remand back to apply the case began with Burwell. Yeah, Burwell that's true. is the is the Secretary of Health and Human Services. That means the government was appealing the case. That means the company won that case at the district right. court level. Right. Well, right. The other cases were all cases where the government won the case and they were being appealed by the by the religious companies. So by basically those cases that, that involved the government appealing were already mooted by this decision. The other ones were dealt with the exact same issue, but they were pending before the appeals court. So they go back and they say, okay, now we've already ruled on the exact issue you're dealing with in this case. So you know, in light of that decision, rule in favor of the government, and then those cases will be mooted too. So it doesn't have anything to do with okay. whether they were Catholic or not. It only has to do with who was the appellant in the case, the government or the business. Ed, you well, are such a voice of reason in a room full of voices of reason. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we are all equally brilliant, aren't we? <laughs> but but ne- nevertheless, it is nice to get a little bit of calm injected yeah. into this, even though this is freaking frustrating. We, we acknowledge this is terrible. This is a bad yeah. thing. It's awful for women's rights. There are a lot of people who will suffer because of this. Yes, that's, that's the, the really frustrating yeah. part of this is it's going to hurt real people, and women yeah. in particular. It's not a coincidence that the four forms of birth control they were objecting to are ones that are controlled by women and not men. Well, for one uh, thing, there's not all that many forms of birth control controlled by men. But, well, but their but insurance coverage covers vasectomies. Yes, yes and it, it also covers yeah, and Viagra, Viagra too. And, so, yep. you know, yeah. Which is not a form of birth control. But No, uh, <laughs> quite the contrary. Not directly, yeah. just indirectly. <laughs> but, so, uh, yeah... Well, thank you, Ed, uh, once again for joining us on the show. I, I always appreciate being with you guys, you know, good friends and, 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 and brilliant people. So I look forward to seeing uh, hopefully many of you this weekend. All right. Yeah. And uh, good luck at the, uh, the upcoming uh, humanist uh, – uh, what is it? Humanism in Action Conference? Humanism at Work Conference yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. It's a little too late to sign up for that. But, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the 900-pound weight on my shoulders at the moment. <laughs> it will be lifted in a couple of weeks and – I will be free, and I'll probably just float away. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again, Ed. Speaking of uh, birth control, 
our number one source of birth control in this room is the voice of Dr. Professor Luke Galen. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I'm an anti-aphrodisiac. Uh, it, it's been it's been said. I work um, against Barry White. White. But uh, let's let's talk some God things like you, shall we? Apart from the, all this legal and philosophical issues, what are the what's some of the data that we have on things like support for contraception coverage at work? Because the implications of the, the decision in the real world, not the legal implications, but how are people going to react to it? I think some of this is going to be is telling because, for example, a good starting place is what do people actually – what support is there that employers should cover contraception? Mm-hmm. There was recently a, a poll uh, that was done by the uh, – Kaiser health tracking poll that asked people several questions, one of which was, just like we were talking about, uh, do you support or oppose the health care law's requirement that private health insurance plans cover the full cost of birth control? And overall, uh, two-thirds of Americans support that coverage. Now, not surprisingly, some of the demographic groups differed in ways that mm. are predictable. Women agreed with – supported that more than men, Democrats – more than Republicans and young people, more than old people. You know, so in other words, only a third of Republicans said that they support that statement that the private that, that people should cover health or people over sixty-five. But but those demographics are pretty crucial. Yeah, and mm-hmm. look at the independent. One thing that's relevant to the political argument is where do the independents stand? Not just the and here the Democrats and the independents were pretty much uh, you know. Even independents were 62 percent supported that. It was only the Republicans that didn't. So that's an indication there that with young people, not just women, but then with independents and Democrats supporting that, this is not – this is an issue that skews the Democratic. The Republicans are definitely in the minority there. And then they also asked a similar question, which comes closer to review about the, the health law? For-profit companies should be required to cover birth control in their workers' health plans even – if it violates the owner's personal religious beliefs. Now, this one was closer. 55% overall said yes, that they should – even if it violates their beliefs, they should support that. But again, more so women, more so Democrats, even independents, 55%. So again, even when it's framed as it would violate the religious beliefs to do this. Right. Even bringing in the element yeah. of they don't want to do this. Because the majority of people said no, they should still – they're still required to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, that, that says politically, implication-wise, this is however unfortunate that the court decision was the way it was. It's yeah. a political winner for Democrats. Sure. To, It'll to be to a millstone around the Republicans' necks. Yeah. If, I, you know, if I was a political strategist, I would use this as a cudgel oh, against absolutely. Republicans in elections to say, hey, if you went more of this sort of thing, elect judges like this, decisions like that, elect – Republicans, because that's what you can expect. Mm-hmm. That's the way what you might see with ads. And so the other thing that's related to, though, is that uh, the political issue of who, uh, demographically wise, the people that this affects most, like Dave was just saying, is it's a fairly anti women decision. Mm-hmm. The birth control yeah, thing is, affects them more. Doesn't, I mean, uh, yes, men play a role in the whole thing, but we're talking about women's bodies here. Who, is- so, what is the, what are some of the best demographic predictors of voting either? 
Democrat or Republican. One thing is that that women itself is not a hugely predictive category because mm-hmm. women come in different varieties, as we all know. But one of that varieties is really? age. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I know that's surprising oh, you. Up here. Is, is age and marital status. And there you when you subdivide categories like that, you see a big split. In fact, when you look at things like people talk about things like, you know, the racial gap with Democrat and Republican, an even bigger one is young unmarried women vote Democratic, older married women vote Republican. And in the past election, it was huge. I mean, some of those margins were, were as big as you're going to see on just using demographic splits. If, you know, with regards to what we just talked about, what is one like likely issue that would garner emotions amongst young unmarried women? Yeah. It's this. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is probably likely to, to even further uh, enlist their investment in political elections too. Now, one problem with that is that's also a demographic that tends not to vote as much. That is, older people vote more, married people, whatever. Young unmarried women are too busy, I don't know, right. taking care of yeah. families and working, working at jobs. And working their asses off. Is the suggestion here that young women should get divorced? <laughs> I, uh, obviously, if you want them to vote <laughs> the right way, that is that's what needs to happen. Well, here's something that you often see that in in the, some of the more aggressive conservative attacks on things like they on Fox News they've been referring to that the stats I just mentioned as the Beyonce voters. Oh, that is the votes Democrat. Oh, that is God. single ladies. What like Democrats and liberals because they the government provides for you instead of relying on men and things like that. They view that as an insult. That, oh, that you would that um, that of course they would vote for Obama and Democrats is because they are sort of against the traditional family things. In some ways, actually, I agree with it. There is something about marital patterns that gets at the general underlying view of what you know uh, of worldviews. Mm. To me as a psychologist and a social scientist, it is interesting to ask the question, what is it about not just age but and, and, and race, but about older – when you're an, somebody who values getting married early, mm-hmm. bigger families, you know that sort of thing as opposed to marriage is not linked to things like loving my kids or whatever. That does seem to, to tap into one of the heart – the heart of a political difference or a worldview difference. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that they, they actually agree that there is some – there is something about marital patterns that does tap into the the liberal conservative dimension. Mm-hmm. We People like crazy hippie liberals like some of you guys would be like, well, why should somebody – you know, is it a requirement that they should be married to have a family or that they that's that's a mark of that's not necessarily a mark of stability or something like that mm-hmm. liberals and, and democrats agree with that mm-hmm. so the conservatives see this on the horizon and they're they're um beginning a more of a pr campaign than a policy mm-hmm. change uh but i haven't seen much evidence that their platforms are shifting at all but there's been a huge amount of kind of rebranding a kind of conservative feminism almost yeah. and uh, <laughs> i've been seeing these these signs such they, a gross phrase, they, they, phrase. That again. <laughs> it, it's i mean it's borderline orwellian but yeah. you you see these uh these have you seen these pink signs with the little jesus fish that has oh an eye God. with mascara and eyelashes oh, on it. I have not. And it Boy. says, uh, or you have the you have the skinny little cartoon girl with like these fat trousers going. 
I'm going to put on my big boy pants and pay for my own birth control. My big boy of, pants. Is Richard Dawkins yeah. running this campaign? Is yeah. That, uh... Usually that kind of tone deafness we would expect from yeah. someone. Well, you saw that before like with like Rush Dawkins, Limbaugh's but... remarks against that Sandra Fluke woman yeah. that testified as yeah. saying uh, that if you – it's it's entitlement to have women expect that healthcare plans and other people, <laughs> the government, yes. should pay for your birth control. That makes you a whore yeah. or something like that. And so a lot of people, you know, his language usually is, is results in a backlash. But there were a lot of other ones that were more subtle. That was essentially the same message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're sending the message that it's pro. Why should it's actually feminist to take responsibility for your own birth control? Yeah, it's empowering. It it comes from this notion, like I think two very mistaken notions. Uh, One is that contraceptives are cheap. Right. And, you know, they are with the right um, uh, insurance subsidizing. Yeah. 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 But some of these methods, I mean, um, I've dealt with this with my own wife. Uh, Not just any uh, birth control, form of birth control. Works exactly. for just any person, and, and that's the, and the, some of these people, their costs can be up to five hundred to a thousand dollars initially. And yeah, if you're working your ass off to make ends meet, that isn't enough. And the other notion is that the government or the insurance is that this is somehow a handout rather than a benefit of employment. <laughs> I mean these are – people who are having their employer uh, help with their insurance, that's part of the incentive to draw them into that job. Mm-hmm. That's part of a labor market. That's return on your hard work. That's not some guy in a top hat and monocle showering candies on you. Except <laughs> birth of control his, pills. I love yeah, that image. Out of his – Jeremy's making a flinging gesture here. I'm, I'm imagining He's pills flowing from his fingertips. Out of his heart of black hearts. That's, <laughs> that is a benefit for, of well, work. We should also mention too that often these are taken not just as contraception but as for health reasons of yeah, – exactly. of, of, mm-hmm. of Like if you have endometriosis mm-hmm. or conditions like that that, that, that require stabilization of the cycle. Yep. But th- even we, things like acne – for for a lot of teenage girls, you get on it, uh, uh, the pill. Those and messages, stuff like that. Those messages are dog whistle to conservatives because yeah. again, they they involve this notion of contraception as 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 something that's like unnatural, not part of God's plan. And then yeah. so you could, if you blow that dog whistle, conservatives do respond to that by saying, "Yeah, why should uh, women in general be allowed to regulate their own yeah. fertility?" The frame I've been seeing is consequence free sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, which sounds great. Which cu- yeah, I mean that's what I'm after. But still, that cuts to the heart of how they are viewing this issue. Yeah. Is well, they view it as yeah, whores. Well, that's relevant and, to it. Um, there's a, there's another recent study that just came out. Uh, this is in the Journal of Women's Health. The lead author is Kelly Stidham Hall uh, about the use of reproductive health services. Uh, and what they did is that they used you know. Often in social science, a lot of variables are correlated with other variables, and so it's hard to tease them apart, except if you use statistical techniques. And what they did was is that they looked at who actually uses reproductive health services as a function of things like their religious affiliation and whether they're sexually active. And as you would imagine, people who are religiously affiliated and they use things like frequent church attendance, they do tend to use less reproductive health services, i.e. they were on the pill less or things like that compared to people who don't attend church. But the thing that is disturbing about the study is is that they found that it was not a function of whether they actually engaged in sex or had sexual experience. What I mean by that is is that the frequency of the of the 
uh, participation in things like reproductive health things. It was associated with religion, but even religiously, religious women who were sexually active used those services less. The, the implication of this is if you're religious and you're sexually active, the religion depresses your use of things like birth control, health exams, blah, 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 right. when probably I get think many people, including me, would argue, hey, you should be utilizing reproductive health services if you're, if you're sexually active. I don't care if you're religious yeah. or not. And that mm-hmm. ties into things like what do you think is going to happen when you have somebody who's sexually active but saying, oh, wait, I'm not going to be involved in birth control or planning my pregnancy Let's just let the chips fall where they may. What Rhythm do you method, think is going to happen? Yeah. And, and hmm. the names of the studies don't come to my to the top of my head, but we've covered this in great detail over the past couple of years on the show. Um, it's not surprising that conservatives do suffer from many of the many of the problems of poor sex early, education, early se- uh, birth before the people of plan. I mean, the, the this is simplistic, but the largest contributor to abortion is. Unplanned pregnancy. And what do you think leads yeah. to unplanned pregnancy? <laughs> a lack of reproductive health service utilization. Right. So we, like you said, we mentioned before with and things like abstinence, education and whatnot that it seems to be a um, you know, a sort of a perverse consequence of saying I don't approve of managing my fertility or I'm not yeah. going to go on the pill right, like right. some whore. Well, what do you think is going to happen when inevitably that person is going to be foot. sexually active? If they're going to choose not to be gay, they have to deal with the consequences. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's the thing. They don't want them to be gay. Um, <laughs> they don't want anal sex. They don't want oral sex. These are some of the best ways to avoid pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's – yeah, it's not just health costs, uh, you know, uh, health problems of either. Course. We've looked at a whole uh, host of phenomena. Including divorce rates, um, you know, financial struggling in the early years of marriage, that are all linked up to these attitudes. Uh, mostly because uh, you know, religious people terrified of premarital sex opt for marrying you get in married at a very when you're early 17, age when so they're that not responsible. You don't have to have premarital sex. Um, related to this, has anybody seen the news that's just coming out of uh, Colorado today? I haven't been able to like fact check this. Obama smoked pot. No, uh, no, and I gotta say, he was offered free pot and he turned it down. This is not my president. <laughs> yeah, impeach him. I, I thought I thought we were more aligned in our world. Yeah, views. come on, man. Um, what a square. But uh, no, uh, Colorado is claiming right now. I guess over the past five years, they've had a program there that allows uh, free birth control. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. it's actually sponsored by private donors. I just saw this too. I think yeah. that it's mostly five people, five very wealthy people um, uh, supporting this initiative. Uh, but they are claiming just of just as of today, they've seen over the past five years a forty percent uh, reduction in the rate of teenage pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Wow! Now, I, just I'm, by offering free birth control. Yeah, I'm I'm a little. Uh, incredulous about that. I, sure. I, I'm surprised any public health initiative could drop the rate by 40 percent. But right. that's what they're claiming. Well, we've seen over the past and, decade that teen, that teen pregnancy has dropped, particularly among minorities, but it has dropped overall. And that became a political football in that the abstinence people want to say, hey, it's because of the Bush era. We're doing programs. it, guys. We're but not then doing it. the more respected places like the Guttmacher Institute say, no, we've linked it more to things like better, better education, education more reliable birth control, yep. more better usage of birth control of and things like that. But the, teen, the point is that the teen pregnancy rate has been going down probably because – it's more avail- more reliable methods are available. And I got to guess the teen abortion rate follows a similar curve. Right. 
my only case in bringing that I have up a is to of say I'd like to abort right now. Actually, oh that, yeah, can I do yeah. that? A retroactive cool. abortion, not without a time machine, my friend. Damn it. Not without a time machine. <laughs> but um, Justin Bieber, just saying. Anyway, <laughs> um, nevertheless, I mean, my point is to say once again they're shooting themselves in the foot. Yep. This this policy supporting contraceptives, making it available and cheap for people would be a benefit to the entire society. It would help them achieve their goals if they could get this unscientific idea that these are abortion drugs out of their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would support their own moral goals of reducing abortions nationwide. Well, uh, just It's so goddamn frustrating to see this increased suffering – for no reason at all. They asked one of the uh, one of those news magazines. I think it was sixty minutes. They asked one of the authors of the of an abstinence study. One of these, you know, people who studies the abstinence thing about. And the guy sort of was doing it's a, a real rhetorical question. Study. They asked him and said, you know, what's wrong with the program saying that teens should wait and that they shouldn't have sex? And the and the researcher's response was, well, it would be good if it worked. I mean, yeah. there, there's a pragmatic yeah. attitude right yeah. there. If these, if the ideals that are labeled as conservative, like tell people to wait, tell them to not to, I agree. If, if in fact they were That's effective, great. then we could have the conversation about. It. But they don't. The point is that they don't even work. Yeah. And they're counterproductive. Right. Well, that's what happens when your moral theory is blind to consequences. Right. Right. And it's yeah. So, but it's blind to consequences. These are yeah. not like rationally uh, oriented things. If you argue like, hey, why not just teach? Use a condom and and have freely available birth control. The response from the from the conservative religious conservatives is typically not well. We haven't seen the data on that yet. It's typically that you know you're telling people consequence free sex they or something. They don't care about the non sequitur. It doesn't matter. No. I, I got to say the uh, the Showtime series Masters of Abstinence is not nearly as good. <laughs> as the other um, but you know what? Here's the thing. What we can get down to with our entire discussion so far this episode is when it comes to talking about women's bodies and reproductive rights, whether you're on the side of the Supreme Court or on our side here, the best way to solve this problem is to get five men talking about it. That's really (laughs) – yeah. that's what it comes down to. I feel like we could pat ourselves on the back for (laughs) having that – Sorry, I'm real sorry. You're, you're just you're just feeding ammunition. I know. To, you know what? Squirm all you want. Better acknowledge it than uh, than not acknowledge yeah. it. And uh, I agree with what you're going to say, listeners out there who wish we had women involved. I agree. We I'd are. replace all three of these guys with women <laughs> if I could. All the women we know have better things to do with their time. (laughs) (laughs) Like have abortions. Um, Anyway. I just can't get an image out of like Obama drones with dropping contraceptives on people who aren't covered. Like I just think that like Amazon's like Amazon and the Obama administration getting together and delivering contraceptives. I, I imagine like a kind of uh, ACLU sponsor, right? a, a kind of uh, countdown clock that's shaped like a birth control, uh, <laughs> you know, packaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Boop boop boop, and then the drone. Uh, well, um, let's do uh, let's do polyatheism now, shall we? Today in polyatheism, I'm going to start out with a book recommendation because I I have a book I want to recommend. It's called (laughs) From Girl to Goddess. I'm holding it up for none of you to see. 
except those of you in the room. Uh, From Girl to Goddess, The Heroine's Journey Through Myth and Legend uh, by Valerie Estelle Frankel. Um, It's a great compilation of myths and legends that defy the misogyny of folks like, eh, say, Joseph Campbell, who would argue that a true mythic hero can only ever be male. Uh, It takes myths and legends from all over the world, gives succinct and compelling retellings of them, and offers an analysis of what these myths meant both to their cultures of origin and what they mean to us. It's really the most interesting mythology text I've found in a long time, and I highly recommend it to anyone looking for obscure myths and uh, for a refreshing look at even well-known figures like given Persephone, the, Isis, give, Izanami, and so forth. Given the mythology books you've you've talked yeah. about, uh, a recommendation like that seems pretty glowing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I've yeah. got a few. I've <laughs> we, got as, a few. We <laughs> haven't found too many women-friendly myths out there. No, no. Um, and this is a really... Really cool one if you're you know if you're into feminism if you're into mythology um, it, or if you you just want cool stories about some kick-ass women some of which are are depressing as well I can't recommend this enough and hopefully we'll be talking to the author soon but inspired by one of the tales from uh, from Girl to Goddess and of course the recent blow to women's rights and weirdly the fact that the 2014 World Cup is still going on. Today, we're going to talk about Pele. That's the closest to a topical sports reference. Well done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, sports ball. Yes. Uh, no, we're not talking about the much-loved Brazilian footballer, um, but actually the Hawaiian goddess who, thanks to the much-beloved Brazilian footballer, gets second billing in a Google search for her name. Uh, the volcanic goddess, who now resides in Hawaii, seems to have originated in Tahiti. Uh, so she has a real climate of preference, I guess. Um, there, after her husband cheated on her, or after she cheated on her sister with her sister's husband, or cheated on her... Wait a second. Can Tahitians cheat on each other? I didn't think that was possible. I, I'm not sure. Um, I love the Tahitian tree. I love that soda. It's the best. Is that what we're talking about? No, no, not at all. So either after she cheated on her husband um, or after she cheated with her sister's husband, uh, she took her leave of Tahiti and sought a new home. Uh, Of course, her sister, the goddess of the ocean, chased after her, and there was a nasty throwdown between the goddesses of volcanoes, oceans, and a couple of big sea monsters thrown in for good measure. Uh, it's an epic battle between the two sisters, not unlike the ones that my daughters have on a pretty much daily basis. Only those are usually about which viner is better or whose turn it is to scoop the cat litter. But, you know, the same same kind of stakes when you get right down to it. Uh, the end result of the fight is that Pele dies, or at least her spirit leaves her body and ends up in Hawaii. Uh, she arrives on the island of Kauai just in time for the big hula festival. She disguises herself as a mortal, but just barely passes for one, as all the people, upon seeing her, bow before her staggering beauty and fresh scent. Apparently she smells very nice, too. She even caught the attention of the prince in a Cinderella-at-the-ball-type scenario. Pele went back home with the prince and laid with him for three days and three nights. Nice. Uh, but, as Frankel points out, quote, she would favor him only with kisses. Ah. 
In his growing passion, he forgot his need of food, his fondness for the hula, the obligations that rested upon him as host. He forgot the hula, folks. This is a man. <laughs> I know what smitten. that's like. <laughs> uh, he kept trying and trying to get more from her, but she refused. And unlike many other mythic men, he accepted that her no meant no. I mean, he kept trying, but still. <laughs> uh, as in any Cinderella story, though, the clock must eventually strike midnight. And for Pele, that came at the end of the third day when her youngest and most beloved sister, Hayaka, I, honestly, Hawaiian is an insane language with four letters and I can't pronounce any of it. But uh, her full name translates to Hayaka in the bosom of Pele, meaning she's the most beloved sister of Pele. She managed to restore Pele's spirit to her body, thus taking away her away from her prince. Nice. Knowing that that was about uh, that she was about to turn into a pumpkin, Pele told the prince that she was going to be leaving soon, and she would send a messenger for him. Frankel writes, quote, "For five days and five nights, you and I will take our fill of pleasure. After that, you will be free to go with another woman." End quote. Because while Pele had her share of lovers, she didn't want to be tied down to any one of them. Okay. you got to like a good, sex-positive, uh, mythic female character. Mm-hmm. Polynesians. Yeah. Pele's spirit then returned to her body, which was now with her more sympathetic siblings, in the volcanic crater Kileo, I think. Hayaka was then sent to bring the prince to Pele, before she left, however, uh, knowing just how destructive Pele could be, she made Pele promise to protect her forest. Hey, while I'm gone, don't destroy my stuff, right? Uh, not surprisingly, Hayaka's journey ended up taking a little bit longer than planned. Not only did she have to stop along the way to give a handless girl some hands, cure a crippled man, <laughs> and other miraculous monkey shines, but when she finally got to the prince, he was dead. He had hung himself when Pele's messenger didn't show up in time, and so Hayaka had to spend a full ten days chanting in order to restore the prince to life. And as is so often the case with these types of stories, the prince fell in love with the messenger. He tried and tried to get Hayaka to do various pleasurable things with him, but she refused because she's a good sister, right? Now, because Hayaka was delayed by all the healing of the sick and raising of the dead, Pele was furious and not only burned down Hayaka's forest, but also turned her best friend into a rock. Oh, God. Dude, come down. on. Right. Uh, so, really, Pele and the prince are kind of made for each other because both of them have huge uh, overreactions when they're kept waiting a little bit too long. Yeah, they have yeah, very little. For real. My girlfriend Rub didn't come out, soon guys. enough. <laughs> always the solution right um so yeah both of them a little bit impatient if only hayaka had been able to send a text to say running a bit late your prince is dead but he'll be our b when hayaka did return and found uh all this had happened she decided to piss off her sister by kissing the prince right in the middle of pele's court Drama. Yeah, when they started making out on the floor, Pele couldn't take it anymore and literally erupted, spilling lava all over the two lovers. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, there's layers of meaning. <laughs> That's there. really sure weird. Is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hayaka was fine, of course, because, you know, she's a goddess, but the prince was burnt to a crisp, literally turned into like a lump of coal. I thought you were going to say once he caught him making out, someone got 
kicked out of the moon roof. Moon uh, door, not moon roof. Moon door, whatever. What's the difference? Uh, just then. One's on the ground, the other's in the air. What? All right, you're right, okay? <laughs> Luke's always right. Uh, just then, the prince's Usually. friends showed up and explained everything that had happened, like Friar Lawrence showing up too damn late to save Romeo and Juliet. In a bizarre twist, Pele then fell in love with the friend. And uh, while Hayaka traveled to the underworld to retrieve the prince's spirit, Pele went off and made Whoopi with the dead prince's friend. Uh, when Hayaka had dug down to the tenth layer of the underworld, she was warned that if she went any further, she would destroy both the world and the underworld, either through flood or some kind of weird exposure or whatever. So what a weird I, I'm beginning, causal situation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm beginning to think abstinence really is a better <laughs> option, at least for gods. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, although when they masturbate, bad things happen too. God, um, God. salad. I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah, never forget the salad. So she turned back and went to Oahu to mourn for the dead prince. But luckily for her, the other gods were impressed by her pluck and sent the prince's spirit back to his body anyway. Um, of course, that's in Pele's court. So when he came back to life, Pele saw him apologize and asked for forgiveness for, you know, killing him with molten rock. And uh, then she sent him on his way to Hayaka with her blessing. Hayaka and the prince's reunion is like something out of a piece of musical theater. She's literally sitting in court singing a song about her lost love. When he shows up disguised, he walks into the room and starts singing along with her takes off Aww. his disguise, the music swells, they kiss, the curtain falls, and everyone lives happily ever Aww. after. You had me at Munahaka Laka Wigi. <laughs> I want a haka uh, So <laughs> there you have it. Pele, explosively impatient goddess of volcanoes, lover of men, lousy sister, and just one more goddess worth not believing in. Can I say something, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard for me to tell metaphor from literality when you're talking in those segments. I was like, turn into a pumpkin, shining monkeys. I'm not – what? what's the fake real stuff and the real real stuff? Uh, real I, fake I stuff. I want to keep you guessing, Jeremy. That's okay. it. That's going to do it for us this week. Um, thanks to all of you for being relatively patient while we're on a, a hiatus. Um, and also – Hey, but the good news is – and le listeners need to help us out with this too. Part of the reason for our long hiatus was completely switching over to a no, new file hosting yes. service and updating and correcting problems with our feed. Mm -hmm. That means if listeners continue to have problems with the feed, <laughs> you need to let us know ASAP because yes. we are assuming that all the terrible problems we've been facing over the – past year or so have been corrected so uh hope you enjoy the better more constant service from mm -hmm. reasonable doubts if you're not please let us know immediately so we can correct that and uh, also i want to say big big thanks to mr justin sheber yes. who yes. is huh? the one who took care of all of that Thank crap you. because the rest of us guys you haven't us. heard the complaint emails yet so uh, okay. Well, okay. And it might true. be that That's i just true. tricked you and told you that it complaints to justin it may too, still be so. a mess but uh, <laughs> and blame go to um, he did do all the work in in transferring stuff over and finding a new server and all of that stuff so it's because of justin that we're able to um reach your ears at this point um 
Of course, um, we've got another episode coming out much sooner than this one did. You can go to doubtcast.org or freethoughtblogs.com slash reasonable doubts. In the meantime, download our episodes, comment on them. You can also find us on Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Twitter at slash doubtcast. Um, and, uh, of course, you can always contact us with your questions, challenges, etc. at doubtcast at gmail.com. And we're going to end the show today with a special song, okay? Just as something a little bit empowering, I guess. Uh, Justin, can you introduce this? You found this video. Yeah, this is a video by uh, YouTube user Jonathan Mann, spelled M-A-N-N. After the Hobby Lobby decision came down uh, and Ginsburg uh, gave her dissent, uh, this fellow uh, wrote a song and put it on uh, YouTube that kind of puts... It's just kind of the it, actual descent, but yes. in, in a song, and it's he takes uh, lines quite from hilarious. Ginsburg's uh, dissenting opinion, and, and it's, so I, I thought you guys would uh, appreciate it's that. It's really well done, and uh, you can check that out. Um, yeah, we'll have a link to it on our blog, but we can also enjoy. we have the, uh, permission to play the audio. Yes, so. we do. So here it comes, and of course, we'll be back soon with more reasonable doubts. Your skeptical guide to religion. Religious organizations exist to foster the interests of persons subscribing to the same religious faith. Not so for-profit corporations, workers who sustain these operations are not drawn from one religious community. It bears note that the cost of an IUD nearly equivalent to a month's full-time pay for workers making minimum wage. Oh, the court, I fear, has ventured into a minefield full of slut-shaming geezers and religious extremism. Oh, one thing's clear, this fight isn't over. We gotta stand Together, for what we know is right. Any decision to use contraceptives is not propelled by the government. It's the woman's autonomous choice informed by her doctor. Approving some religious claims while deeming others unworthy could be perceived as favoring one religion over another. Would the exemption extend to blood transfusions, antidepressants, and anesthesia? Pills coated with gelatin and vaccinations. Whoa, now the court, I fear, has ventured into a minefield full of slut-shaming and religious extremism Oh, but one thing's clear The fight isn't over We gotta stand together For what we know is right